Uh, good evening. Um, welcome to Freedom Podcast of Sagartella Insight. We are very happy to host Johanna and Jonas today, the bicycle um, the ecologists uh, who bike for biodiversity, and they have been they spent now nine months uh, on on their way from Germany to Georgia. Is it correct? Eight months. Maybe you tell us about uh, your background first, and then we go to the travel, to the journey. Yeah. Yeah, we're both uh, ecologists. As you mentioned, we both studied ecology and nature conservation. Then we got to know each other working in, for an NGO in Austria, where we worked until spring this year. Then we decided to quit our jobs there and to go on a journey because we worked for many different projects, mostly EU-funded, so with partners from all across the EU. Uh, and we saw what great work they're doing on the ground, but never really had the chance to visit them. Mm -hmm. And then we thought, like now we want to go out and see what other organizations are doing in the field, what is happening on the ground in nature conservation. And exactly, uh, so to add to that, we also have a little bit different um, background when it comes to where we were born. So Jonas is from, from Germany, I'm from Slovakia. We already experienced a little bit of different national uh, mentality towards mm -hmm. nature conservation. And uh, we also knew that there are many voices that are not heard. So it's not just nature conservation is not just protected areas or not just the biggest organizations. But there are many, many ways how an individual or a community even can protect nature. So we wanted to, to search for these voices, for these mm -hmm. stories, um, and to, to share them with, with the community. And we wanted to do this on a global level. So we mm -hmm. decided to, to go on the bicycle journey. And you started it very quickly, or how was the preparation then? What did you do first? Or what is the mindset you need to make such a journey? Uh, also, you know, physically, mentally, I don't know. Yeah, so we started eight months ago on the 28th of April this year. We officially started our journey and we had the idea uh, last September. So kind of half a year mm -hmm. before we started. But then we were still working full time for the organization. So we didn't have so much time to plan. Uh, we tried to organize some things, getting a bike, for example, which was harder than we thought. Uh, and then uh, Hannah started, stopped working there at the end of March. And then we basically had three weeks and then we went in. So it was, it, we, it came along like for half a year, we had it on our mm -hmm. minds, but the actual preparations were <laughs> quite short then. And you're heading now from Germany to Singapore. In how long time? Um, in the beginning, we set ourselves one and a half years as a time mm -hmm. frame. Um, now it's probably going to be longer, not yeah. because ne not necessarily because the biking itself takes longer, because in fact, you can maybe not many people will believe, but you can get to Singapore in a relatively fast time uh, mm -hmm. frame. But because of our way of traveling and because of um, we really want to delve deep into the countries and to the topic in each country, to the nature conservation, we tend to spend longer time in places, especially in, in places that are completely new to us. So um, in Turkey, we spent much more time than we planned and in Georgia the same. So now 
eight months later, we don't, we, we kind of quit this one and a half year idea. Mm -hmm. we, we will go until we feel that, that the journey should go on. And we see when, when the end comes. <laughs> so how does your daily routine look like then? <laughs> It's very hard to say. Um, yeah, we cycle maybe roughly half of the days. Probably now that winter is coming, not so much anymore. But then it's really, we get up, make breakfast. So most of the time we wild camp. That means we have to uh, get out of the tent, make breakfast, pack everything up on mm -hmm. the bikes. Then we start cycling until it either gets dark or we're too tired or we've reached the destination and then the same thing eat pack uh, set everything up and get ready for the night and if we're not cycling often we meet people so there's uh, a lot of meetings sometimes in offices sometimes we have mm -hmm. the chance to go out with people into the field see what they're doing on the ground and then it can really it very much depends on the situation mm -hmm. So what is the concept of the journey and what do you want to achieve with this? Maybe this is, we don't know who wants to answer this. And so the concept uh, briefly is that um, I think there is already kind of an awareness and talking about the importance of, of biodiversity, that we mm -hmm. are currently in a climate crisis, in a biodiversity crisis. Um, but many people don't know what they can do as individuals and also many people don't know who in their surroundings or even abroad does some important or even innovative work to protect mm -hmm. biodiversity. So the concept is that we set out, we meet with people from very different fields, so uh, public field, private sector, individuals, education, all kinds of field that kind of connects to you this You make idea. research or how do you meet these people? Um, various sources. So we make research as well. Mm -hmm. um, we also just simply get kind of recommendations. So when we talk to some people, mm -hmm. um, they, uh, they know some other people who they work together with. Uh, and then in this way, kind of like mm -hmm. communication chain, then we contact them. Uh, and... Um, Yeah, the idea is to show the stories of these people. Mm. So the idea is really that we want to show the positive examples. We want to be the voice of, of the positive change. What, mm -hmm. is, what is being done to protect biodiversity, to combat the, the crisis that we are in. And uh, what were your findings so far? So I have the feeling that uh, farther you go from Germany, more environmental problems there might be. But I might be wrong. So I would think that in Germany the environment is better protected or biodiversity. And somewhere Bangladesh, I don't know, <laughs> it, is, it gets less and less. But maybe I'm wrong. What is your impression? I definitely wouldn't phrase it uh, so generally. Mm -hmm. What is, of course, unfortunately a big... Uh, factor that plays into nature conservation is the financial or economic situation yes, of the country. Right. So in Germany, what has been clear is that there is a lot more funds available uh, to do good research and then to implement projects on and a large scale. And many more regulations also, and limitations for, right? There are, uh, luckily in the EU now most uh, environmental legislation is unified so the mm -hmm. same laws apply in all of the EU and in many other countries there are laws in place what is often 
more lacking is the implementation of the laws yes. and the enforcement. That's also something we learned here in Georgia is a problem. But in Turkey, the last country we've been in, in Honey in Georgia, for example, we find much more pristine nature than in Germany. Mm. So there is a lot more still there that can be protected, a lot more value. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is just a matter of um, time or a matter of enough uh, political willpower in the next years to protect these so that Georgia, for example, can sustain more natural value than Germany. Maybe Georgia's uh, good destiny that we don't have so much industry which can harm the nature, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's definitely a big topic. I mean, when we talk about the environmental situation in Germany and in Bangladesh, as you mentioned, then we mm -hmm. also have to take into account that Germany outsourced all its dirty production, all mm -hmm. the dirty industry to third world countries where environmental regulations are not so strict and people yes. are more desperate to earn money than protect their own nature. And uh. they're still ongoing. So it's not just the past, mm -hmm. they're still ongoing. So many of these countries that maybe uh, other countries look up to are kind of greenwashing also many of their activities and outsourcing into mm -hmm. other countries. So you started your journey in Germany, then which, which were the countries you traveled so far? From Germany, we went to the Czech Republic and then we crossed into Austria um, then Slovakia, Hungary. Mm -hmm. And from there, uh, we went towards Romania, crossed the Carpathian mountain range. And there in Romania, we hit the Black Sea. And mm -hmm. then this kind of longer section of, of the journey with the Black Sea uh, continued because from Romania, we followed the Black Sea coast down mm -hmm. uh, through Bulgaria until mm -hmm. roughly about Istanbul. And then in Turkey, we spent three months uh, crossing from north to south completely. Because it's also huge. It's country. huge. And it's very diverse and was very interesting to us. So we, we went basically completely down towards the Syrian border and then went up to the Black Sea, mm -hmm. close to the Georgian border. Mm -hmm. And then basically we, we crossed already from west to east to Georgia completely. And if I ask you to remember the most interesting or most impressive um, people which are protecting biodiversity, who would come first? The two ones who come first to your mind. Whew, that's hard to say. If there, are so if there is something which you did not expect to see, which you have never heard, but it works greatly, or I don't know. I think in Turkey, we definitely met in inspiring people. Um, to be fair, in Europe, we mostly met professionals um, that we knew from our work before. And then in Turkey, we met more people that do it uh, on the side and mm -hmm. also face a lot more political pressure sometimes uh, when they stand up for nature and criticize the government. And it was amazing to see that people really, without getting paid for it, sometimes invest all their time and sometimes even all their money into protecting nature. Mm -hmm. But but also re just very recently in Georgia, we had these wow experiences as well. Uh, we had the chance to join two organizations for multiple days on the field. One was Sabuco, which mm -hmm. is kind of the 
um, Georgian um, bird life partners. So did you go to Tirala Park? This bird watching uh, place? No, we went to Chachuna Reserve, okay. uh, more to the Azerbaijani border mm. with them. Uh, and we also joined another organization, Nakres, um, mm. to Kazbeki to to do the winter monitoring of the of the Caucasian tur, uh, a kind mm-hmm. of mountain goat species. So we had the chance to spend multiple days with these organizations and and really the individuals that are working in it. And and that was also very cool for us because the more time we can spend with them and the more time we mm-hmm. can observe their work the more we get an insight really into their successes, but also their struggles in this field. And what, what did they tell you? They feel that they are successful? They make good progress or in their work? What was your impression? Yes, definitely. Um, of course, we learned a lot about Georgian history and uh, especially since the collapse of the Soviet Union, how the country has developed and that it was really hard times in the mm-hmm. 90s and still 2000s economically and nature suffered because people simply had nothing to eat or nothing uh, no fuel to heat their homes so mm-hmm. they had to cut down forests and uh, hunt animals almost to extinction um, but there what we definitely heard is that there is now a change in mindsets and we met so many inspiring people mm-hmm. that unfortunately sometimes even have to uh yeah put their life on the line to protect Mm -hmm. nature so we heard several times stories of rangers in protected areas that uh, got death threats or even died but it just shows that there are so many people that work so passionately to protect Mm -hmm. georgia's nature and luckily with the younger generation that is set that is settling in their minds that that is the way forward um, so I have the feeling that Georgians have to go back to the nature and to uh, get the connection again back with the earth. Uh, when I'm observing now the agriculturing in Georgia, it's like as if they are from another cosmos often. <laughs> they don't listen to the nature, don't listen to rain or, you know, mm. what you... C- they have continued working since um, as they did 50 years ago, but the climate changed. Mm. very much so what do you think uh, how should this be done is maybe that um, if they get education in school if it starts already in the school maybe it should help what is your impression yeah i am i think we agree with you it's not just in georgia i think it's a general Mm -hmm. problem and that with the um, the agriculture being part of this mass massive system uh, also, many si- many processes are industrialized, mm-hmm. and and unfortunately, a lot of indigenous or or really um, broad knowledge that our ancestors have gathered is completely lost. Mm-hmm. And there is even a field which is called ethno ethnobiology, mm-hmm. uh, which is focusing on the biological knowledge of of peoples in different uh, regions, mm-hmm. mostly. Um, mostly people that have been living in that area for a long, long time. And there is a lot of this kind of indigenous knowledge, for example, in the, in the Ajar mountains here mm-hmm. in Georgia. So people who still live there uh, continue practices, they know the plants, they make natural remedies, medicine and so on. But with every generation, because this work is so hard, 
mm-hmm. the next generation doesn't want to continue it so it's a it's a difficult thing we also think that there should be more focus or kind of this kind of knowledge should be preserved and especially in places like georgia where where there is still these communities living they should have the chance to um to practice it and to also benefit from mm-hmm. it um not have to for example um use their lands to to plant um tea mm-hmm. cultivate tea in in big big masses but to be able to plant whatever they planted in the previous centuries mm-hmm. yeah and also because the climate change and the, you cannot plant what you have planted two centuries ago it's in western georgia so visible mm-hmm. often they continue like they used to do it but the climate does not support it anymore yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's of course there's already many challenges for for biodiversity many threats but climate change is accelerating all of that to a degree which none of us can oversee or predict um so it's very important to take that into account mm-hmm. for any projects you do but it's very hard <laughs> because you cannot say mm-hmm. it, like it's not global warming it's not only it gets a few degrees warmer but depending on the region the weather can change in many ways uh, if we go back to the beginning of your journey what are the main threats of for biodiversity in germany or in central europe and what are they here if you can already say it mm-hmm. The threats are very universal. That is one thing that we learned. Um, I would say the main threat is that people, uh, or in general, that our system puts economy above ecology Mm -hmm. and that many systems are just set up in a way that exploiting nature Mm -hmm. leads to economic benefit. Mm -hmm. So that means that road construction is a big threat. Construction of buildings is a big threat. pollution of intensive agriculture mm-hmm. uh, hydro plants <laughs> yeah this is exactly. a huge problem <laughs> uh, yeah deforestation mm-hmm. uh, also because of uh, plastic pollution these are very very universal threats. and for georgia the same i guess yeah yeah definitely so we heard that uh, yeah in georgia there's still a lot of homes that are heated with firewood mm-hmm. so of course you need to chop down a lot of trees to yes. make enough firewood which is a problem georgia luckily still has a lot of forests that are in very pristine condition and not managed mm-hmm. and there are projects we visited the project that is implemented by the giz to uh, bring better fuel stoves to people so they need to need, mm-hmm. need to burn less wood and there are many efforts to go in a, like to improve the, this situation, but it takes a long time, unfortunately. Maybe we should take a question, if there is any. One first, to give audience the floor. Yes, If economy does not make people wealthy, where then do we take the resources to, for all the people to be active in whatever they want, to be artists or, you know, so economy versus ecology. yeah that's of course that's a recurring topic and as we said before it often is seen that economy comes first and then once you're wealthy enough you can take care of nature Mm -hmm. but it's a very short-sighted mindset because 
if you destroy nature mm-hmm. in the long term, it's going to have very harmful impacts on your economy. So what was especially hard for us to see in, in Turkey and in Georgia is that many mistakes are being done again that have been done in Western Europe and Germany uh, maybe already 50 years ago or in the last decades at least. And now there is a lot of money being put into reversing those mistakes, reversing mm-hmm. those environmental destruction. And to have a really prosper economy for not only the next 20 years, but the next 100 years, a working ecosystem and working uh, ecosystem services are the foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this uh, little tale or story. If the dog is sick, you know, you go to the grandma, the grandma tells, uh, tells the little kid, okay, give him a garlic and give him some uh, uh, ham. Mm-hmm. So the kid goes and gives the uh, garlic, the dog doesn't want, gives the ham, but comes back and uh, grandma, he didn't took the, the garlic, which would say, no, you need to put the garlic inside the ham and give it. Mm. And uh, don't you, it's a little bit of an extension of a stretch, but don't you think we could, instead of trying to change people's mind of, okay, you should not make money for this environment, why don't we can focus, and I want to have your opinion on this, on is it possible to uh, like channel them so that they can make money but still protecting the environment and still helping the environment? Have you seen some projects or some things or what is right where people actually getting uh, wealthier by creating optimized systems or is it something that we cannot, if we have one, we cannot have the others, the other, which would be, which would be actually dramatic, but I'm interested. Like you're, you're showing this, in my opinion, no, like in my, <laughs> but we, okay. are, we are having this kind of discussions a lot. Of course there are, there are some people uh, who can get like uh, um, investing into renewable energy, you can get richer, but in my opinion, the, the, the main problem that is kind of trapping us is this constant um, focus on, on growth, on, on, on growing, growing. This is the kind of the, yeah, the mm-hmm. essence of capitalism. And, and there is no endless growing. There is no like with protecting nature because you're always going to extract, you're always going to look at, at, at how you can grow, how you can become richer, how you can make more. And I think this is, by principle, contradictory to nature conservation because you want to conserve something that um, which many of of nature's values are are intrinsic, are not measurable. Um, So in my opinion, this is definitely a way that definitely like big... um, um, businessmen and big companies should also uh, go to this direction, but I think um, ultimately the whole system should change from from a capitalist <laughs> mindset to, <laughs> to uh, well, <laughs> diffi- difficult question. to say, but yeah. but basically mm. this kind of um, of of um, yeah, fixation with growth is that's the interesting. Main problem. So now, I, I, so it <laughs> needs to have a regulator now, because if you say we should not focus on growth, somebody needs to say no, we should not grow. 
Well, by definition, right? So, so there are some industries, some fields that grow, that generate money, and there are some fields that will that don't generate uh, directly money. For example, we are always going to channel uh, funds into education, and it's on the long term we know that is beneficial because, of course, more intellectuality and and more education for for our society is beneficial for a society, but it's not a direct. Benefit and the same with nature conservation. We funnel money into it if we realize the potentials, but but most of the time we don't get a direct financial benefit. So basically, you're saying that we need more optimization of the energy instead of more energy extracted. So basically, with the energy that we already okay. extract, put more brains or put more efforts into getting the solutions. Right. That's basically more intellect. Right. Yeah. To use Always one unit good. of energy and stretch it to the maximum, and my my question was more on the who is the regulator, yeah. and how do we know the regulator is a good one? That's my question, because that can turn very quickly into very uh, not so good uh, things. Because if we say okay, you, now we need to we. Uh, we need to cut your gas or we need to cut your electricity, you know, then we are starting to be totalitarian. That's the you know, definition against the will of people. Uh, what, how can we fix this? How, uh, how do you see a solution for this? Because to me, it's not, I don't see the solution for now without imposing something to people. But who is the imposer? And how do we know the imposer is right? Mm. Yeah, the truth is... Uh, yeah, as we said now, the system, the current system we're living in is not, it's very hard to, to make nature profitable or to incorporate healthy nature into our system. And it's very hard to change that. So the truth is we don't have an answer to how we can fix all of this. What we on our journey want to um, focus on is small solutions. So also where I was nodding before is because we met a lot of projects that try on a small scale to provide livelihoods to people to show them that you can live in a nature friendly environmentally friendly way and you can generate an income from that and that always starts with education so education is always key you have to bring into people's heads and preferably into young people's heads that we have to protect nature otherwise we can be as rich as we want for a short amount of time it's going to collapse eventually and unfortunately big meetings like the climate summit or the biodiversity summit that just happened they're fraud <laughs> yeah they fail to provide any real results they do they say we have new goals we have new commitments and then they break those commitments and say but next time we're going to stick to those commitments. And they come to the, to the conference with uh, private, uh, private jets and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are very hypocrites. Uh, okay. Yeah, so that's, apparently that's not working. So also seeing that we thought, okay, we want to see on the ground, on a small scale, what do people do? And there it does work. Hmm. Unfortunately, not yet on a super large scale, not for many people, but on small scales in some project that does work. Don't you think it's just the cycle of life? Like, uh, you know, uh, the flood before Noah, we went crazy and then, don't you think it's just inevitable and that just, we are just at this time, the tipping point where, you know, there is no... Uh, 
because in that case, you know, no matter the effort is just part of a cycle. It's a very philosophical discussion <laughs> because, of course, um, there is there is a mindset which is also a very valid point that uh, not not a human centric mindset. You know, like if we look at the whole uh, whole lifetime or whole of of the planet of the Earth, uh, and we, I hope I can describe it well. So we basically uh, align it with, let's say, one year. So let's say the, the planet has been existing mm -hmm. for one human yes. year, yes. 365 days. Then humanity itself only appeared on December 23rd or something like that. So very late. There's, there has been so many, so much time before us. And there is going to be so much time after us. Um, but <laughs> with or without <laughs> us. With or without <laughs> us. And, and there are many people who say this, that nature is going to uh, return. And, and you see that in places like Chernobyl or, or places which were abandoned by people, that nature is, is doesn't stop existing there. But of course, our goal as humans is not to drive us as soon as possible to the extinction. Um, yeah, as Yona said, there are many, many negative uh, and kind of... Mm, devastating things happening on the planet and if you look at these world leaders who have their empty promises then we might think okay what are what are we supposed to do we are just turning crazy but there are many uh, countless uh, initiatives that are are doing good work locally uh, really driving productive change and and the fact is, we may not be able to protect today's nature, but we might be able to, pro to protect tomorrow's nature. And that's what we should think about. We should think about what's going to be tomorrow, what's going to be after our lives, and what's going to be after even our children's or grandchildren's lives. Uh, do you see the use of technology as a, as a pros or as a con? <laughs> I don't think there's a clear answer like technology is good or bad. I mean, f regarding uh, uh, ecology, yeah, ecology yeah. questions. Mm. Yeah, but also there, there's no clear answer. Um, first of all, of course, technology needs energy. Creating energy needs resources. Um, so it, uh, not everything should be over-technologized. You know, you don't need a gigantic flat screen everywhere in the city or in your home. But of course, it also has... If we want to con if we want to live in the way we live currently, which is very comfortable, then we need it. And it also in conserving wildlife, it has a lot of uh, it can have a lot of useful applications. What would be ideal <laughs> is if these technological advancements would be more spread out across the world. That would that you know more countries would have access to advanced technology to protect nature as well. You know, it's funny because from the thing that destroy nature also there is the seeds of what can protect it and what can spread the world so uh, you know the iphone and internet requires lots of energy oil 99% of oil and, and gas and you know fossil uh, energy and but that's the energy also that allows us to have satellites and to be able to communicate and have podcasts and to have uh, distributed information so uh, you know, there is also maybe the seeds in every single thing that may, may look bad or may have some uh, adverse effect on nature. Also, the seeds of, 
you know, because now the environmentalist uh, message is spread all over the world without any problem. You know, why it would take an eco a real ecologist, like in terms of uh, the 1800s, a horse to go and spread <laughs> the word, right? <laughs> so, uh, can't we be optimistic about this? Yeah, definitely. Don't you see that more and more people are getting uh, getting uh, on board? Yeah, I mean, also we for our journey, we use social media and we use the internet to spread our message. If we wouldn't have that possibility, it would be very hard for us to reach anyone and to get any of our thoughts and our message out there. And, you know, in, in nature, what you always talk about in ecology is balance. And I think with a lot of human things, that's also what we have to think about is a balance. It's we Uh, technology can open or has already opened up a lot of uh, amazing opportunities in many ways and for many people but we should just think about do we need the new iPhone or do we need another screen or do we need to a bigger house you know it's always just about finding a balance and thinking about what do I really need what creates new opportunities for me and what's just waste uh, is it is it not just fighting against human nature <laughs> I think it is like, yeah, there are many people that may make the case that it's just human nature to take, take, take. And you can see that during history that that is a thing. But I don't think it's like human nature is not is not something that is just set in stone and cannot be changed. That's why education is so important. Mm. I have a very interesting question, at least for me. <laughs> How do you correlate the loss of spirituality and the uh, the quest for uh, materialis materialism, more things? Mm. How do you correlate those two things? Because it seems that they, they come at the same time. What do you mean that they come at the same time? I mean, the... Uh, This quest for more, more, more material comes at the same time where there is less and less spirituality. Whew. <laughs> that's that's an interesting. I'm, uh, I'm curious to see the uh, answer. I mean, yes. spirit, it, like it's it's, a, it's really a broad topic. But know, you can really get your opinion. I mean, the, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, Give me what you think. Really, of it's course, you have to define spirituality first, and you think about religion, and then I grew up Catholic, and when you look at the Catholic Church, they started hoarding. Uh, gold and everything they could get thousands years ago so I don't think they in like that's an example the spirituality or religion and, and uh, waste or materialism are not necessarily two opposites okay <laughs> yes it depends on how you define spirituality and um, I don't know maybe there is a better way to to put like a better antonym uh, to materialism because many people are not spiritual in the way that we we maybe frame frame this word like not religious but are against this broader idea of like they, they are not materialistic people or they be, through education through technology you know you realize that oh there are actually there is a way to live without those things and you go into Some I don't know. You seek happiness in other ways. So maybe that is spirituality 
for other people is just you know for example being in nature is is, is that just is that spirituality if you're not there to seek some higher um, i don't know existence or not to pray or so but just to to enjoy your environment so yeah, yeah. i think what we definitely discovered on our journey is what is important for nature conservation is the connection of people to their home and the land they live on so where we where we met the most passionate environmentalists the people that fight the most to protect local biodiversity is where the people have a strong connection to their home and really feel a spiritual connection maybe or some kind of other connection and feel like it hurts them if mm. the nature is hurt yeah. and that's i think something that is very important that we have to strengthen local communities um, because they are the ones that are really passionate to protect their land and also know how to protect it that grew there for for thousands or hundreds of years they've been living there they know the area they know how to sustainably farm or use resources and uh, unfortunately as people move more and more into cities a lot of that gets lost mm. what are the things that you're doing at your individual level apart from this which is a large-scale uh, project but when you're back home how do you live what are the things you're taking care of how do you make sure you're you, i mean what are your habits little habits to to help to help the yeah. I mean, we are not perfect people, and that's <laughs> it, n protecting nature is not about uh, about showing that you're a, an absolute perfect human, and it's also not about I don't know, like calling out another person for I don't know taking a flight. Um, but we we don't really fly. We don't um, buy things so much. We buy food and and we spend money on on things that we actually need. But we we think twice before we buy something, and we we really evaluate whether we do need it or not. And um, yeah, I think what I said before is to just when you want to buy something, to think about does it really create value for me? Does it give me a new opportunity or something, or is it just because I'm bored or because I just want something new and shiny? You know. If you really have a use for it, buy it. Otherwise, just don't. And what is also important to, is to get a connection to the place you live in, to value the nature there. So even if you live in a city like in Tbilisi, there are plenty of green spaces around. So I think it's important wherever you live to just go out into nature. It doesn't have to be far away. It can just be some green space close to where you live. Get a connection to the place maybe find an organization where you can be active. There are so many organizations that do great, great work with locals in all kinds of places. So that you just get a feeling that you feel good and that you also get a feeling for how the nature is doing. Mm. Overall, overall, you, you, how do you feel about, about this whole thing? You're optimistic, you're <laughs> pessimistic. Well, we talked about now that there are many systematic things that are a big issue. And, you know, when you look at what's happening at the top level, it makes us very pessimistic often. And unfortunately, as nature conservationists, we often talk about the negative things. You know, you're constantly fighting 
to conserve something. You don't improve often, you just try not to get it, like to keep it or not, <clears throat> just to make sure it doesn't get worse than necessary. <laughs> but we met so many amazing people and we met, we saw so many small successes that we do think once this turns kind of from the minority into the majority. So if enough people are convinced that this is the way to go forward, which I'm sure is going to happen, then we will find, uh, then we will have a big change and we will head to a better future. I just hope that then there's still uh, most of the nature left, <laughs> most of intact nature left. Yes, I share the same opinion. So. So in this path might be long and, and it might mean that, that we are still losing species, species go extinct and habitats disappear. Um, but, but, but we will get there and not 100% of, of humanity, people alive on the planet at that moment will agree. But if enough people live that way, then at least we can we can protect some of the planet. And that's the goal. The goal is not to revile the whole planet and, and diminish all the advancements that we like achieved and like no, no more uh, like large-scale agriculture and no more whatever farms. The idea is that, that a, a bigger percentage, like let's say 30% of the planet, should be nature. And, and it, is, it, is a, it is a fair request because it's also for us, and 30% is not so much, because we are using so much, uh, so much land for, for things that like not sustainably. So 30% is actually a pretty reasonable amount. And, um, and I think we will get there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the nature will win. It's not an equation where we can win and the nature lose. It's like are we with the nature, or uh, there's only nature at the end, right? Yeah, of course, we cannot destroy nature. Humans are part of nature and nature is uh, incredibly resilient and happens on so many levels that it's impossible to destroy. The question is just, you know, for only basically a, a few decades now, we've been heading like steep downhill when it comes to the condition of biodiversity and uh, nature. And the question is just how long will it take us to turn around? Because I'm sure we will, but the question is how much nature, how much intact ecosystems, how much species are going to be left once you reach that tipping point where nature is starting to recover again? And how much will humans have suffered at that point? Because millions are already suffering and it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now to come back to the earth. Um, <laughs> How is your journey continuing? Where are you now? At what point are you making a break in Georgia? Are you staying longer? What is your next steps? We are staying long, longer. We are not necessarily making a break. We are um, not cycling as much as before. Also mm -hmm. because of winter, simply places are not so accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, we are still cycling and we are still spending time outdoors. We were just in Borjomi Karagauli National Park for four days. Um, so we do like winter, but of course the traveling in our way is a bit more difficult in, mm -hmm. in these temperatures yes. and these conditions. Um, so our, our close 
plans are basically for one more month we we plan to still go to some places in Georgia mm-hmm. because in fact the country for us is really so 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 interesting uh, the more you know the more um, more we learn about it the more even we are I- more interested so there are plenty of of other things on our list of of to do's and then we are going to continue so heading mm. eastwards and how do you, what do you describe georgia what would you say about it when people ask you tell me few words about it what was unexpected or different than you expected or mm. i don't know people nature whatever what is just incredible is how much diversity natural diversity there is uh, on a quite small area so mm-hmm. georgia is not a big country but just the diversity of ecosystems. So you're in the West, close to Batumi, you have subtropical mm-hmm. uh, rainforests where you can grow all kinds of subtropical fruit. And then you have the East, which is steppe area. Mm-hmm. Then you have some of the highest mountains of Eurasia mm-hmm. and all of that within a few hundred kilometers. Mm-hmm. And also in terms of fauna, no? Oh, yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah, so it's really, it's the crossroad between Asia and Europe, and it's one of the 35, I think, biodiversity hotspots in the world. Mm-hmm. The Caucasus, not just mm-hmm. Georgia, but so the Caucasus, Caucasus region. region. Mm-hmm. So it's really an incredibly diverse um, region and beautiful. For example, when we went hiking in Bojomi Haragauli now, we followed wolf tracks, we followed bear tracks. Mm-hmm. They are just so abundant in the mountains here because they're so very wild, which is something you cannot see anywhere else in Europe. And it's easy to come around in Georgia. How is the infrastructure for you or, you know, if you need some for accommodation also because your luggage did not come on time? It's, it's it's different. <laughs> it's different to come around. Uh, of course, in every country it's like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, yes, of course, because of the mountains, there are not so many main roads. So uh, cycling infrastructure is not so mm-hmm. developed. Um, the the train infrastructure, the railway is not so so developed to mm-hmm. every part of the country. True. Um, so with these mashutkas, like you can, we try to get our bikes on, and it was a hassle. <laughs> so, so it's of course it's it's different, but but until now we managed to get almost everywhere we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we yeah. basically adapt. <laughs> <laughs> so it's maybe not as uh, extensive infrastructure as in some countries we have been. We have trains, buses, uh, going everywhere. But with the mashutkas, you can go anywhere. And if it would be summer, then we could go anywhere by bike as well. Just Mm -hmm. now in winter, we fly a bit more in public transport. And how does your journey continue? You go to Armenia, Mm -hmm. Iran. Yeah, so our idea was to continue from here to Iran. But simply because of the current political situation, Mm -hmm. we decided not to go there. So at the moment, it looks like we're going to continue to Armenia and then fly probably from Tbilisi to India to continue our journey from there towards Singapore. Or you will miss uh, also Afghanistan or will you go to Afghanistan? So normally it would have been Iran, Pakistan, India. And now Ah, we consider flying to India and then going back into Pakistan by bike, doing Mm -hmm. a little loop and then uh, traveling through India. Mm-hmm. There you will see 
other challenges, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Regarding the environment and that. Yeah, and it's, uh, just like we were very excited to come to Georgia before now, then the next big chapter is going to be India. It's going to be very yeah. different again. Um, so if when you come back in April, you will share your findings with a bigger audience, or how do you imagine it? Or you will just use it in your work? Um, there are many, many ideas. We have countless ideas. Um, after we end this journey, it's going to be the second chapter of processing. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of material, a lot of photo material, a lot of video material mm -hmm. um, of the nature and of, of our time with, with conservationists. Um, so we want to process that and those kind of material will maybe land in a, some kind of documentary um, are written, so we also write articles on our website uh, about these nature conservation visits, which maybe we will, we have the idea to, to comprise into a book. Mm -hmm. uh, but the main, probably the main uh, way how we can raise awareness and share our findings is going to be through talks, talks like these, talks mm -hmm. among in, in schools, in uh, among bigger audiences. So this is going to be probably a big way. Like on one hand, we want to promote these stories, the nature conservation stories. And on the other hand, we just want to promote uh, adventure, you know, mm -hmm. people uh, going on adventures. And it doesn't have to be a bike trip uh, around half of the world. It can really just be local, some local adventure mm -hmm. that you want to do, preferably in nature, because there it's really the coolest thing you can do. Mm -hmm. So we want to also promote that kind of, you know, adventure mindset. So you're still good motivated, well motivated to continue this trip. You're not tired. Or you don't no. question your at, at the moment, at the moment, we're very excited to continue mm -hmm. our journey. Uh, to be honest, uh, when we when we our first days or <laughs> okay, so I have to start earlier. So basically, in the first seven months of our journey or six months, we had great weather. You know, we started in Germany in May. We had already mm -hmm. good weather. Then we continued further south. Basically, didn't have any rain for half a year, and then. We arrived to Georgia, to Batumi, uh, spent like a week there catching up on some work we had to do from Turkey and then got into some bad weather and there had a little down, you mm -hmm. know, it was becoming winter and it was not so comfortable to travel with the tent anymore. But now we've overcome that. Mm -hmm. We're very excited to enjoy the winter here, which has so many beautiful views and beautiful sights. Mm -hmm. to it and then we are very excited to explore probably India after the Caucasus mm -hmm. and your next trip would go to Africa <laughs> are you are you not sure what comes next uh, I mean the, who knows who knows what comes next our our main our heart lies with uh, with doing conservation work so mm -hmm. um it, at the moment, it's not our main idea that we will cycle for the rest of our lives. Um, but we are definitely very excited about Africa and, and South America. And as basically, as you say, like you could go to any direction from where you are and you would find interesting places. Mm -hmm. um, so for now, we are focusing on this journey. And then who knows? <laughs> and when you thought about coming to us, you had a message to spread 
Did you think of something sp special you would like to say in this podcast, for example? Yeah, I think our message is really just that biodiversity, even though it's a global issue, mm -hmm. is protected on a local level and that everyone should value their local biodiversity. And if somebody's interested in doing something to protect it, there are so many uh, opportunities mm -hmm. out there to support people financially or to get active yourself in a small organization that is doing something locally. Mm -hmm. Yes, that, uh, that's, that's a very important message to everyone that, that there, are there are several ways how you can really protect your environment. Mm -hmm. One is really to like volunteer. There, we have met in Tbilisi many organizations that that welcome volunteers, and with simple Google search, like there is countless countless uh, places which would uh, need some help, mm -hmm. some some uh, human power. Um, there is also just what we talked about, just um, review your consumption consumption patterns really like. Now with Christmas, like review, mm -hmm. like, like I also have so many uh, patterns of, of behavior that I'm like sometimes realizing like, oh, like actually this doesn't make sense. And get active in politics, like politics, like nature conservation mm -hmm. cannot be separate from politics. And, uh, and unfortunately or fortunately, many of the big changes have to come from from uh, uh, above so uh, politicians are there to mm -hmm. to represent the society and people have to um have to voice their vo voice what they want uh, and and i think that's very important so also for mm -hmm. people in georgia to to support and to yeah to basically support politicians or get active in politics themselves themselves I um, think. Mm -hmm. to to really build kind of so to to support people or or a party who who has this green program mm -hmm. and who wants this kind of green development mm -hmm. i think we don't have the green party mm -hmm. anymore or it's very very weak and it's all in hands of civil society not politicians also we had this big story with the water dam what water plant to be built in around Kutaisi? Mm -hmm. Maybe you heard about yeah. Namu mm -hmm. and this project was stopped. But of course, there is this background politics versus an uh, environment because we wanted to become politically independent mm -hmm. and energetically independent through this and many other hyd hydro plants. So I don't know if um, the population will always win in mm. this fight, but. We try. <laughs> is it going like ex expected, or it's or what is the most unexpected in your journey so far? Because you had some, mm -hmm. I guess, ima ima imagined something you would have. It is your first long bike journey, also. Yes. yes. So we didn't have many expectations because we were like from the beginning we were kind of aware that we cannot expect what's going to come anyway. So we just started with a mindset, okay. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's see what is possible. Let's see what comes out of it. Oh, <laughs> what is definitely an, uh, unexpected is how how long it takes, how much time we spend in each country, mm -hmm. because we meet so many interesting people. You know, in Turkey, through Europe, we still had kind of a clear route, a kind of clear itinerary, and 
quite early on knew which organizations to meet and then in Turkey we didn't know anything when we started and just did it on the fly and then it just turned mm -hmm. like one suggested us the next person to meet so we planned to stay one to two months in the end we stayed three months then we got to Georgia say okay Georgia is a much smaller country it's going to be quicker maybe a month or two now it's going to be at least two months before mm -hmm. we leave Georgia so it's just yeah what is unexpected is just how overwhelming it is uh, and how many amazing people there are to meet mm -hmm. how are you finance how do you finance yourself maybe good question how and how did you find Sakatolo inside no, no, finance finance, finance. <laughs> How do, you, how do you finance your journey? Uh, we finance our journey from our own savings. So we saved up before. And we luckily get some uh, great support from family and friends. Uh -huh. But we tried to get some different uh, funding sources. So far it has not worked out. But we are still continuing to have new ideas how we could fund it. And we will see. And is it So the question is, is it hard financially? It is not really hard because, in fact, um, you spend much less living like how we, how we live than how you would mm -hmm. in in a in a normal setting, let's say. So, um, of course, we have some running costs like insurance or phone bills or so, but we spend most of the time either in the tent mm -hmm. uh, accommodation, almost no cost and uh, we cook a lot and there is not uh, we don't spend on on transport so so it's not really expensive um and also yeah basically yeah, yeah. and what it plays a big role in it is the hospitality of people oh yeah. <laughs> they invite <laughs> you in exactly right? so yeah. to sleep with in most of the time when we uh, don't camp we try to use couch surfing or other platforms mm -hmm. where people uh, allow us to stay for free at their place. Mm -hmm. So that's made a huge difference, just that we don't have to pay much for accommodation. And did you do it in every country or only in Georgia? Uh, in every we started doing it mostly in, in Turkey and Georgia, but, but couchsurfing hasn't even been our pra main uh, way how we experience hospitality. We just be were stopped by so many people on the street. Yeah, you know, curiosity. As I think as a cyclist, you experience like a dif uh, like deeper levels of hospitality than maybe any other tourist because you're, you know, they look at you, they see that you're kind of vulnerable against all weather conditions, you're carrying everything with you, and they are also curious, um, so so they want to help and really countless ways we've been offered food and water and and shelter and and many other things. Uh, so so this is also one of the very surprising things, how we connect with people. We, we try to avoid big roads, so we often go through really, really small villages. Mm -hmm. And through this way, we connect with people who we would normally never encounter, never speak to. And many times we don't even share the same language because there is just no overlap. And even then, we somehow manage mm -hmm. to communicate and and get our messages through and it's really like uh, very pure human experiences yeah i read this quote quotation on your website in a cyclist experiences more in one day than 
somebody using transportation in one year or something like this. I don't remember exactly, but <laughs> this is true. Yes. And also for these people, they would never meet you if you would not go into their village. Yeah. And it's also yeah. a unique yeah, experience. I, yeah, when I was a child, I, I read sometimes these uh, children's tales where there was a village community and then so suddenly a stranger came in mm -hmm. from like a faraway land. And now we are many times these kind of strangers, you know. So yeah. it's 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 very interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's often a very surreal situation for us, you know. For we're just two people on bikes, you know, nothing special for us. But then sometimes when we go into villages, we are treated like, yeah, really, Kings. like we are these <laughs> these these crazy strangers that come from a big big journey mm -hmm. and that kind of bless the people with their presence and. Sometimes it's really overwhelming to us how hospitable yeah, people have been. Too bad you don't speak the language of local people then. That would be too. amazing. That would be, if yeah. I could have one superpower, I would, <laughs> I would choose that to, to speak in all the languages of the world. But you don't go to the schools and find an English teacher or somebody to help you with meeting with locals or something like this? We don't need it, really. Mm -hmm. Like, we never... Also, uh, there's Google Translate. You mm -hmm. can quite well communicate with Google yeah. Translate uh, and until now we got by there is really just many ways of nonverbal communication how you can um, how you can communicate with now I'm from Slovakia with Slovak I understand a bit of Russian that mm -hmm. already helps in many places in Russia uh, in the countries like sometimes we just it was never really an issue where it where it limited us completely from mm -hmm. I don't know Communicating. So, um, so on, on, on the human level, you're very optimistic because you only, you mostly, mostly, mostly have uh, a positive experience with people. So you have faith in, in humans because otherwise you wouldn't even do this uh, journey, starting this journey, knowing that you would be maybe in some unsafe situation that you know happen. So you, you, you still that deep, deep, deep down, you still have. Uh, big faith into humans yes we have big faith into humans because we have been the vast majority of all interactions we've had um, were amazing we're much kinder than we thought and many times we get the question aren't you scared or something and we're not scared in nature because nothing in nature is out to kill and to kill humans so that's also like an important message that you can sleep in nature that you can go wherever you want um, and you don't have to be scared that something is coming after you of course there are some animals where you should in some parts of the world that you should be careful of mm -hmm. and stick to some guidelines but otherwise everything is very safe and also with humans people ask who do you trust and who you don't but we didn't have any reason so far not to trust anyone and really interactions have been the vast majority of interactions have been much more positive than we expected. And uh, are you vegan? No. <laughs> uh, also, just on that note, that also about this question of trust, you know, like we get the question, like, how do you know who to trust? But the question can be reversed. Like, we are also complete strangers, and those people who welcome us in their homes, they also, uh, like, w basically grant us their own trust. So it's both ways. It goes both ways. Goes both ways. 
Uh, and about the diet, like I started this journey as a vegetarian and I am still mostly a vegetarian, but but there have been several times where, where I ate meat because in the end, in these situations where you where you're welcomed and you're you know mm -hmm. like you're you're offered something that was made with love these kind of things don't matter uh, luckily we are not allergic to anything and then any kind of preference beyond that is secondary to this mm -hmm. kind of sharing a meal and getting to know somebody Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. so last two messages you want to give to the those who listen. Yes, tell Yes. So tell us the website where yeah. people can follow your journey, read your articles, mm -hmm. follow you on Facebook, Instagram. Exactly. So we are on social media, biking for biodiversity with the four as the mm -hmm. letter four. Uh, or on our website bikingforbiodiversity.org. And on social media, it's a bit more light content, some of some just stories from the road and some content about the nature conservation. And then on the website, people can find more in-depth articles about mm -hmm. the projects we visit. Uh, yeah, so if everybody, anybody's interested. And how are your out. roles distributed? You are both writing or who is the writer? <laughs> no, we are both, 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 both sharing mm -hmm. everything. Sometimes yeah, I wish <laughs> that that the cycling would sometimes you want to do the cycling <laughs> and then we just like sit but we are both doing everything basically it's completely yes. Yes. equal <laughs> to be to be fair the social media is, is more hannah than me she definitely has a better hand for that but uh, other like in general we share all the tasks mm. how, how hard was it on your organism on your body did you lose a lot of weight <laughs> we thought so the question is how hard it's our, on our bodies um, and that's maybe one thing that was also unexpected. I thought we we're going to get fitter throughout the journey. Like lose weight and <laughs> become like leaner. I mean, we were already doing a lot of sports, so there was not like a big transformation. Um, but we thought our, we are going to notice more change on our bodies, uh, which we didn't, which is, I guess, a good Yes. good uh, sign we i'm sure that we gain some some specific muscle mm -hmm. uh, that is useful for biking but overall it's not in in our opinion it's not as difficult Psych like doing this journey is not as difficult as as it may sound and uh, and I think everybody should do like a multi-day bike biking <laughs> tour actually because it's very very cool no it doesn't have to be like it's just a few days to a guest house and then back because it's very nice to be on the bike and it doesn't have to be strenuous and doesn't have to be very demanding but it's very nice to be outside mm -hmm. and it's it's all actually one of the least um, um, least kind of demanding sports on your body it's much um, much less demanding than hiking or, or but you have very good bikes i guess with many speeds and you mind they are good bikes so sturdy bikes but they are not very special bikes so they're very standard For bikes. mountain up <laughs> they have they have uh, yeah they have i think 27 gears which is quite a lot but we've met people and we've heard of people that cycle the world with this free speed bike mm -hmm. 
You know, it's really not about the equipment you have. And that's also part of it. You know, you don't need great equipment and you don't need to be super fit to go on a long journey. You really take it just hour by hour or day by day. You know, you don't have to do a hundred kilometers a day and mm -hmm. you don't have to go up the highest mountains. It's just important to get out. If you don't have a bike, you can go for a hike. It's also interesting and you get somewhere eventually. Um, yeah, so you, it's really not about, you don't need great equipment. Mm -hmm. You just have to adjust to what you have and you can make the best out of it. Uh, there is an old Georgian guy who bike, uh, made a bicycle tour around the globe mm -hmm. at least once. Yeah. I don't know if you met him. No, <laughs> no. <I> mean, <laughs> there are there are some people who yeah. who are not many. <laughs> there, yeah, it's a small community, but there are some some crazy people mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Do you feel that your immune system is uh, stronger now? Mm. Did you get sick during the, the, the journey? So um. we did have some some health issues during the journey. I got COVID when we were yeah, in uh, Turkey, and sometimes you know. It's just if you are in a lot of different environments, uh, we have digestion problems sometimes, yes. you know, it's just, it's just stuff that happens or you feel if you cycled really mm. a lot in a week, maybe for a day, you don't feel great. That's just things that come with it. But in general, you know, it all passes after a few days and then it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not um, like we, we have camped in minus 10 and I don't know, washed our teeth with with uh, frozen toothbrushes and like i don't know walked in wet shoes and things like that and we never got like um, i don't know pneumonia or something which mm -hmm. yeah so it 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 f surely helps to be out in fresh air so much and how does being in a binom doing two is an advantage compared compared to being just alone because you know if one of you is sick then For us, it's definitely a huge advantage that we are two people and don't travel alone because you're not alone. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. the main thing. So you're definitely much less lonely than other cyclists. We have met other cyclists that cycle alone. And for many people, it also works great. And you can, of course, meet people all, all the way. But for us, especially what we're doing, meeting conservationists, having really deep uh, conserva uh, conversations about nature conservation. There's just so many things that are going on in our head and it's just great to have somebody to talk to about everything that's happening, all the experiences you mm -hmm. have, you know, uh, and just also see a different angle from everything, you know, what you take away from a conversation, what sticks in your mind, in your memory about a specific day or something. And it's also very good to share the happiness share the successes to have somebody who experienced the same and also to share the share the burden so when one of us is down for some reason either health then the other person can take care of some stuff or also just mentally if if one person is a bit drained because that also obviously happens as a natural thing then the other person can can be there mm -hmm. so it's it's just nice to to share share this kind of experience all these uh, all its aspects it's always nicer <laughs> and it also yeah. i think um makes us let's say post less on social media probably <laughs> which 
I guess has that kind of aspect is not like we could post more and then I don't know. Uh, but it, it makes us post less because we don't want to, we don't have this feeling or this need that we, we want to share every mm-hmm. aspect of our life. Um, so, so I think it's a healthy, also has this healthy <laughs> effect. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, very brave, very <laughs> courageous. <laughs> Thank you. Wish you a very good road continuation of it. And yeah, we will stay tuned. We will follow your journey and hope you have good luck on your road. And right. Thank, thank you, you so being for being with us. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for the chance, the possibility. <laughs> thank you.